Happy Thanksgiving, everyone. How's everyone doing this Thanksgiving weekend? It's a little bit nicer than last Thanksgiving. Anyone remember last Thanksgiving? What happened? The snow and the, all the broken trees. And I remember that day very well. A little, a little backstory to, to this message today. Um, I, I was thinking early in 2020, which feels like eons ago. Like, it just feels so long ago, early 2020. Uh, I, I was thinking about preaching a short series on generosity and giving. And so I was doing some research uh, into that and, and asking some pastor friends of mine for um, the, just um, some guidance on resources and what they would recommend. And one of the guys that I was really recommended to read over and over again by people was Randy Alcorn. And, I, and to be honest, I haven't read a lot of Randy Alcorn. I knew about him, but I haven't really read a lot of his stuff. Uh, and then when I, as I started to look into it, I'm like, wow, yeah, this guy's like written a ton of stuff on giving and generosity, like a lot. And, um, and actually, <laughs> I messaged a famous pastor dude, I won't even say who it was, on Instagram. And I, I, I asked him for his recommendations. I'm like, he'll never get back to me. And he actually got back to me, and he's like, this book by Randy Alcorn. And I'm like, oh, that's so cool. So started reading a bunch of his stuff. I read some other of his books. And I was doing all this, and then COVID hit. And it was like all of, well, not all, but a bunch of our message plans just like went out the window for this year. It was like the, the plans that I had for this year laying out stuff was like gone. We're, we're going in a different direction. Um, but as we started planning topics around this series that we're in, Presence Formation Witness, and I was thinking about, you know, things that form us into the image of Jesus, you go, well, you can't not talk about giving. And generosity. It, it's, it is central um, to us following Jesus and has to be included. Because we can't talk about apprenticeship to the way of Jesus without talking about giving and our finances. And so, obviously, now this is a topic that many would say, oh, you know, pastors should probably stay away from this. They're like, you know, do you really want to preach this? Uh, maybe you should get someone else to preach this because, you know, it's difficult. Get someone else to fire the bullets about giving. And, and, or maybe you get your annual giving sermon in January. This is, this is the one sermon that just covers the whole year. I have believed that to a certain extent in the past. I'll say this, not anymore. I, I simply do not believe that. And the biggest shift for me in realizing this was looking at Jesus and the Gospels, and how much he spoke about money. And I thought, well, if he can speak about money and finances, then who in the world do I think I am that I can't talk about it? In that, we must look at this. F uh, at least 15% of what Jesus said in the Gospels was about money and possessions. He spoke about money and possessions more than he talked about heaven and hell combined. And you go, Why? Because there's a fundamental connection between our spiritual lives and how we think about and handle money. God sees our faith and our finances as inseparable. I don't know always that we do see that. Now, the realization that I've had is that how I see and how I handle my finances reveals a lot, what, a lot about what I actually believe about eternity. A ton of how I see eternity is directly related to my finances. So we're doing this on Thanksgiving, right? Thanksgiving is about 
gratitude. It, it directs us to give thanks for all that we have. That's what we're doing this weekend. And for followers of Jesus, this has to begin at the cross. It, it, it absolutely has to start there. And the grace extended to us at the cross that never, ever ends. And so it's out of that gratitude for the grace that's poured into our lives that we then in, are in turn, we're called to live out of that grace pouring out of our lives to others. And so I was thinking about that this week and I thought, you know, it's, it's like extravagant grace poured out to us, producing this gratitude within us, and then it manifests generosity in us. And so this morning I want to talk about the gift of generosity. And then next week, um, sort of a part two, but a continuation, I want to talk about contentment in our lives and how that relates to formation, living in contentment. What does scripture talk about when it, about being content in our lives as it relates to finances and possessions? And so in continuing at looking at, at formation, you know, this whole idea of what am I becoming by what I am doing? Like everything that we're doing in our lives, what are we becoming? It's a big thought sort of over this whole idea of formation. Seeking to live out the way of Jesus. We're, we're developing patterns and habits in our lives that are forming us to be more like Jesus. Hopefully, right, we're doing that. that we're, we're cultivating this in our lives. Dallas Willard says this. He says, belief is when your whole being, so everything in you, is set to act as if something is so. And that is how the commands of Jesus finally come to us as we grow. We see them to be reality. So because our beliefs and our behavior with money influence and affect our formation to the way of Jesus, we, we want to look at what, what does Scripture say to us about generosity? What does Scripture say to us about giving? How, how does the command... To, to give and to be generous form us to be more like Jesus? That, that's, a, that's a good question to wrestle through and to ask. But, but being absolutely convinced of, of this connection in this area of our lives and our apprenticeship to Jesus, like being absolutely convinced that our finances and our giving and our generosity is inseparable from our faith in Jesus, it, that will dramatically change Every aspect of your life, like every aspect of your life, it will change how you see, how you function, how you look at the world, and how you live. And if it doesn't, I would want to say, I think we're not then seeing the connection, actually. And, and then I'm praying, I, I don't think that I see it all. I think that, that God is continually working in me, and so I'm asking the Holy Spirit to awaken our hearts. But to look at this, I want to unpack um, some of 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 this morning together. Um, pretty famous passages on giving. Um, the most that's said on giving uh, in the New Testament, certainly not all of it. There's a lot of other stuff said, but as far as in one place, it's the biggest chunk. Um, the background to this in 2 Corinthians is that there's c this collection of money happening for the Christians who live in Jerusalem, who were poor and who were struggling. And there had been a large campaign undertaken by Paul in the churches to set aside funds that were to be given to this effort. And so it, over a large uh, number of years. 
And so he had actually had first mentioned this to the Corinthians in his first letter to them. You read of it in the, at the end of 1 Corinthians. But besides the specific details that we're going to read in this passage, there's these abiding principles found here in how we steward our money, how, do we, how we steward our finances as followers of Jesus, how we steward the gift of generosity in our lives. And so I want to talk this morning about how we are to excel in generosity, how we are to abound in generosity, and how we are to grow in generosity. So let's read the first 15 verses of 2 Corinthians 8. You can go there with me if you want. Uh, we'll have it on the slides as well. 2 Corinthians 8. We want you to know, brothers and sisters, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urged Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you also, see you excel in this act of grace also. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. And in this matter I give my judgment, this benefit to you, who a year ago started not only to do this work, but also to desire to do it. So now finish doing it as well, so that your readiness in desiring it may be, ba- may be matched by your completing it out of what you have. For if the readiness is there, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. For I do not mean the others should be eased and you burdened, but that as a matter of fairness, your abundance at the present time should supply their need, so that their abundance may supply your need, that there may be fairness. As it is written, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. So, I want to first talk about how we are to excel in generosity, as Paul speaks of here. Verse 6 speaks of this act of grace in our lives. So, in Paul's mind, what he's, what he's unpacking here is that he's saying, as we experience this grace of God towards us in our lives, and just think about the grace of God that you've experienced, and dynamically at work within our lives, it's going to release in us this gift of giving. So giving is a manifestation in our lives of this work of grace. It's an act of grace, actually, that flows from the work of grace from the Father to us in our lives. And out of that, we want to give. And so verse 7 talks about how following the way of Jesus calls us to excel in certain areas of our lives. And I think we know this. We read of this in other parts of the New Testament, this sort of idea that there, this thing of spiritual formation in our lives really is what Paul's getting at. He says you're to excel in faith. 
your, your hope is to be rooted in Jesus and in his resurrection. Excel in that. Excel in speech. Like the gospel changes how we communicate, how we speak to one another. We're to excel in knowledge, growing in understanding, in our maturity. And many times in the New Testament, it talks about growing in our knowledge of God. We're to grow in our earnestness, in our, our hunger for God's work in our lives, marked by this pursuit of Jesus, this presence of God, uh, this presence, uh, the presence of God, and to do the work of God. But there's this earnestness. We want to just, we want to be at work, like shoebox store. We want to be earnest. Why? Because it's the work of God. It is the work of God for the gospel. We want to be earnest to serve God in his mission. He says we're to be earnest in love. Now, Paul's the one who said, look, if I give all that I have, he said in his first letter to the Corinthians, look, if I give all that I have, like everything, and I have not love, he says, look, I, I've got nothing. So put that against the backdrop here. But then he says, see also that you excel in this act of grace. And this act of grace he's talking about is giving. So I was, I was talking throughout this time and, and lately with some other pastors um, just how we're feeling during COVID and, and just the remarkable changes that we're all experiencing. And it's interesting because um, at least the churches I'm talking to, the pastors are small, medium-sized churches. No, they're not, none of us are like mega churches. But we're all seeing financial giving this year up. Like every single one. Like financial giving is up. It's actually really good. And we feel thankful for that. But what, there's a correlation too, and, and we're all struggling to fill needs right now when it comes to serving in the church, getting people back to serve into ministries. And so I'm wondering, like on one hand right now, is it easier for us to give financially than it is to actually give sacrificially of our time? And, and Paul, there's this example of him in 1 Thess Thessalonians 2 where he's, he's writing to them and he, he talks and he says, I'm affectionately desirous of you. It's a little bit of a weird wording in, the, in English. But he says, he's basically saying, we're ready to share with you, he says there, of our very selves. Like he says, look, I'm not just sharing with you the gospel. Like there's a sacrifice here of the gospel of our very lives. That we're, we're, I'm, we're being present to you. We're very desirous to do this. Even, in, and going on here in 2 Corinthians 8, where Paul's talking about this, he goes on and he talks about Titus, and we're not going to really get into that, but he says there of Titus in verse 17, having not only accepted our appeal, but being himself very earnest in going to you of his own accord. So Titus is going out to collect the money, and Paul's saying, look, he wants to do this. Like, he's earnest to serve. And so, yes, financial giving is in view here throughout the New Testament, and, but, but throughout the New Testament, it's expanded to include not just our financial giving, but the giving of ourselves, the giving of our talents, the giving of our time, the giving of our resources, but not at the expense of giving financially. But Paul, and Paul says in verse 8, he says, look, this isn't a command. He says, I'm, we're not trying to coerce you here. This is not about coercion. He says, look to the example of others. He says, look at the Macedonians. Look at them. Look at that church. And he's saying, genuine love is marked by generosity. How, how can we have generosity 
without, you, or sorry, you can have generosity without love. That's true, actually. You can give and not have love, as Paul said in 1 Corinthians 13. But you can't have love without generosity. Paul says here in verse 9, he says, look, he, he points to them. He says, you, like we, he says, you know about the grace of Jesus and his example. He says, he gave up everything to make us rich. And the application, he says, that application is you know what Jesus did. It calls us to generosity. It's probably the strongest basis for generosity um, in the New Testament. Because Paul's saying, you got to look to Jesus. He gave up everything. He didn't hold anything back. How could we be selfish in any way in light of Jesus' sacrifice? And I think for the church, that's the key that we always have to wrestle with when we feel selfish, when we want to feel like we don't want to give, is we are serving the one who gave everything for us. And so throughout the New Testament, there's this connection between the physical sacrifice of Jesus and the impact of it on our lives. And it calls us to radical sacrifice. And I think we need to hear this as followers of Jesus, that salvation is not, a, like it's an act of grace, yes, but it's not a freebie salvation where we, we get it, we take it, and it has no resulting impact in our lives. This salvation calls us to this work of transformation in our lives. And this work of transformation is to be utterly invasive in every part of our lives. And so Paul goes on and, and he says in verses 12 to 14 there, he says, look, Corinthians, as it pertains to financial generosity in our lives, he says, yeah, our, our giving is, is relative to our resources. The, the more that we have, the more we should give. And, and it seems here that Paul, he's, he's addressing some claims that were made by the Corinthians about fairness and giving. Like, this isn't fair. You're asking us to give more. Now, here's the reality. When you, when you do any sort of research into that church, the Corinthians were being stingy because the Corinthians actually had a lot. And so they were, they were just, they were sort of, they were trying to ca get this to be a side issue. And Paul's saying, no, 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 that, this isn't, it's not about that. There was this financial counselor that uh, wrote to Randy Alcorn and talked about these people that he was serving. He says, they have a net worth over $10 million. They're now making over a million dollars net per year. And he said, last year they gave $15,000 and they think they are being extremely generous. God looks not only at what we give, but at what we keep. And that's something we've got to remember. The Macedonians is, is who we want to be like. Paul's saying, look at the Macedonians. Like, the Macedonians were actually in poverty. And he's saying, it's out of their poverty even that they gave extravagantly. Like, they, they and they, he says there, it was an abundance of joy that they gave. The Philippians were like this too. When you read about the Philippians and how Paul addressed them, they were generous, ready to give. Beyond their means, they're excelling in generosity. So we get to the end here of 2 Corinthians 8, and then there's, there's sort of a break here then in Paul's thinking. He kind of goes into a commendation for Titus, and he talks about his role in collecting the funds. And then the, the beginning of chapter 9 sees Paul, he's reminding the Corinthians, he's saying, remember the zeal that you had when you promised to give to this campaign. He's saying you promised, and, and he's basically saying, look, 
Now's the time we're coming to collect. But he's saying, I want you to remember that. But beyond the specific situation that we're going to read here, there's abiding principles for how we steward this gift of generosity that becomes the focus. So, 2 Corinthians 9, now we're going to jump to verse 6. And if you want to read in between on your own time, go ahead, like, read. But he says this, after he tells them, look, we're, we're going to come and we're going to collect what you promised. He says, the point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver, and God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency, meaning having all that you need, in all things, at all times, you may abound in every good work, as it is written, he is distributed freely, he is given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. Won't get into it much. Um, I happen to be reading Psalm 112 this week as part of my Bible reading plan, but that he's quoting Psalm 112 there, which is another, uh, it talks all about the righteous and how we give generously. And Paul's point here, and he says it there, is in verse 8 is you, we are to abound in generosity. So we're to excel and we're to abound. See, chapter 9, he, it begins again, talking about this promise that the Corinthians, they, they had, had made to give. Now, I don't know, maybe, you're, maybe you remember, like I've had this happening where you're, you're at something or you're, you're watching something, you're at some event, and you get emotionally impacted. And you're like, I want to give to that. And you're like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give to that. And then, and then comes the, you know, the, the commitment where you realize, oh, this is now the cost of the commitment to give. Like it's actually going to cost me, right? You feel that sort of maybe the emotional tug from the Holy Spirit. And then you're like, oh, and here's now the reality of what this means. And this is what's going on with the Corinthians. And Paul's reminding them, look, there's an integrity to following through on your commitment. But there's a bigger point to all this, he says. And that's what he's, he's saying. He says, look, th there's a bigger point to this than just this specific situation. This, this generosity that's being spoken of here, he says, it can't come as a result of pressure. It can't come as a result of compulsion. It can't come as a result of guilt. It's a heart matter, Paul says. And that's interesting because Jesus' focus when it came to giving and possessions was always the heart, the heart, the heart heart. There's two spiritual principles here that we're seeing, that we see that Paul lays out. Number one, the extent to which we are willing to give is the extent to which we will receive. And then the second principle he says is, we will never lack when you give extravagantly. You'll never, ever lack. But the he's not saying in this, he's not saying, but the aim is, is like in giving is to get. That's not what he's saying here. The, the, if we see that, these principles that Paul is laying out here, they're not rooted in a 21st century or 20th century Western consumeristic mindset of how we look at materialism and how at times the church has preached stuff. That's not in view here at all. They're rooted in the belief that God releases blessings in us and to us in order to bless others. 
It is, it's actually nothing about getting. It's all about if you get so that you can give. Like, get, yep, so you can give. It's not about getting and just getting. And now, and verse 7 is not saying that giving is optional either. Because I think we can, we can go, oh, oh I, don't, I don't feel it in my heart. Oh, I'm, not, I'm not feeling it, so, you know, I'm not under any compulsion, so I, I don't need to give in my life. That, that's not what Paul is saying. He, Deuteronomy 15, 10 and 11, clearly God commands us to give generously to the poor. Then You need to give to the poor. It's a command. But then he says, yet you should share freely. He says in the same verses. The point is that God cares about the state of our hearts when we give. It's not simply about an obligation to generosity that we have, but a generosity that flows out of love. Do we have an obligation to generosity and to give as the people of God? Yes, we do, biblically. But we're meant to, it's meant to be given out of love. The expectation that we would give of our finances to the Lord is just never in doubt throughout all of Scripture. But giving, Paul's saying here, it changes our heart posture. As we choose to release and bless, our joy increases. And I would say to that, absolutely. I have experienced that in my life over and over and over again. As we give and as we release, it just there's an abundance of joy that comes from that. So what, what would keep us from giving cheerfully? What would, what would keep us from having joy in our giving? And I think it's one of the big things is that we instinctively have the temptation to believe that spending on ourselves will make us the happiest. If I just spend on myself and get stuff, I'm going to somehow attain joy in that. But Jesus says, he says, our, our greatest joy is in giving to others. He doesn't say that it's to get. Acts 20.35 quotes Jesus where it says, he says, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Really interesting, the word there for blessed is the Greek word makarios, which really means, if you're really to translate it accurately, it would be that it's more happy-making to give than to receive. Like if you really want joy and happiness in your life, give. Learn to give. And notice what, that what Jesus didn't say there. And this is really key. That he didn't say, look, naturally you're happier when you get. Like, no, no, naturally you're happy when you receive. But, you know, giving is a duty. It's a command from the Lord. So just grit your teeth, suck it up, and make the sacrifice. He doesn't say that. No, no, he says it's happy making to give. Sociologist Christian Smith, he, uh, in his book, The Paradox of Generosity, he notes, people rightly say that money cannot buy happiness, but money and happiness are still related in a curious way. Happiness can be the result not of spending more money on oneself, but rather of giving money away to others. The data examined here show that this simply not to be a nice idea but a social scientific fact. That's so interesting how God has worked this into our DNA when we give. And the promise here is 
when we do this, when we give extravagantly, when we learn to live like this, he says the promise is sufficiency in all things. The promise is contentment. The promise is not extravagant wealth. He doesn't say if you give and you give and you give, you're just going to be extravagantly wealthy. No, no. He says you will have sufficiency in all things, which Paul unpacks in to Timothy. We're going to get into that next week um, about what the, the word says about contentment. But notice the clear cause here, clause, I should say, not cause, clause, in verse 8. He's talking about this. It says, I just want to make sure that I hit, yeah, okay. And God is able to make all grace abound to you. And then he says, so that, so that you may abound in every good work. So the good work can be taken to mean all various ways that we're called to give. But certainly, primarily, Paul here, he's speaking to financial generosity. That you may abound in financial generosity. All right, let's read the next five verses. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgiving to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others while they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. So Paul's saying, just look at what God has done in you. Look at what he's doing in you. And look at what your giving is going to do in the lives of others. They're going to long for you. They're going to pray for you. They're going to release thanksgiving to God. Like God's going to get glory out of this. And, and we're going to experience this surpassing grace of God upon us. This is, a, this is like a really incredible shift in how we look at giving and generosity in our lives. It's amazing. So it says here that God will increase. It's, he'll supply us with seed. He'll multiply it. He'll increase the harvest of our righteousness. We are to grow in generosity. Verse 6 says that we will reap bountifully. We read that before. So, what are we going to reap? What are you going to reap? Are you going to reap riches? Are you going to reap material wealth? Is this the promise that you give so that you can get? Like, I'm going to reap bountifully. You can take this. You can butcher these verses so badly to come up with a theology that is so messed up that you get people actually giving simply because if I give, I'm going to get more material stuff. Like, it's, a, it's totally butchering what Paul's saying here. Verse 10 is the answer for us. That's the key here. The harvest that we will reap that is promised, it's the promise is one of righteousness. We will be enriched. What Paul's saying here is you will be enriched for radical generosity. You will just want to give and give 
and give and give. That's the harvest of righteousness. So the New Testament speaks a lot about being enriched. And when it does, it's not talking about being enriched with material blessings. It's talking about spiritual fruitfulness in us that results in extravagant generosity. So this is where the alignment to Jesus, the alignment to it, the way of his kingdom, how we're formed into the way of Jesus, it smashes, like absolutely smashes head on with the values, the goals of our materialistic culture. It just like there's a, there's a collision course there. Every commercial you see, every infomercial you see, every ad you see on every streaming platform, it's like get, 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 just pleasure, pleasure, all for you, all for you, buy, buy, buy. And God says, that's not the way of my kingdom. We all wrestle with this temptation. Like, I wrestle with this temptation. And if you say you don't wrestle with this temptation, we all wrestle with it. We all wrestle with it. It's hard because we live in a consumeristic culture that tells you, you want happiness, just go and click and buy that or that or that. And what we forget in the moment is, but that's not how I, that's not how happy making happiness in my life. That's not how my soul is made to be happy. The belief that, that stuff and more stuff and better stuff can actually make us happier, where our enjoyment, our pleasure, and standard of living is an ongoing temptation to selfishness. Like, now we, we may go, well, well, yeah, no, 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 Paul. I, I, don't, like, I don't believe that. I, I know. I know what the Bible says, and I, I don't believe that. This is the question I'm wrestling with. What are the younger generations seeing in our lives? Randy Alcorn, in uh, one of the books that I was reading uh, called The Treasure Principle, little, little short book, but man, like it whopped, or it, it just packed a punch. Oh. I, 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 was, I was really, really wrecked by this book. He says this. He says, God prospers me not to raise my standard of living, but to raise my standard of giving. God gives us more money than we need so that we can actually give generously. This is hard for us. This is really difficult for us in Western culture. But this picture here of sowing and reaping, the harvest promise, it's one of multiplication. multiplication. Not, not a multiplication of our material riches, but actually a multiplication of our generosity, Paul's saying here. There, your generosity is going to be multiplied. It's, it's actually a growth mindset when it comes to our finances and our financial giving. There's a, another older couple that uh, shared with Randy Alcorn about their value for giving with him. And they said that their goal is to give 50% of their annual income to fulfill the Great Commission. And they said over the past 15 years, we have averaged 33% of our gross income. And they said for the past two years now, we've risen to 50% of our gross income is being given away. Now, for me and probably for others, you're looking at me like, that, okay, look. That, that, that percentage is not possible. Like, like I just, I actually don't know how that percentage would be possible. But that's not the point. The point is for us to have a growth mindset when it comes to our giving. 
Like, not that we are like, oh, yeah, yeah, like that thing of, like, it's 10%, and, and as long as we get to 10, we're good. It's what is the percentage that God is calling me to, and how do I have a growth mindset to be increasing what I'm giving? In verse 13, it's, it's, it's really incredible here. He says it, that our giving is actually an act of submission that points to the truth of the gospel and its impact in our lives. Giving is submission. Our finances and the perception of control that they give us, and they do, our finances give us a perception of control that we can determine our own future. That's a core gospel issue right there. That's a core gospel issue in our lives. Formation for the way of Jesus across every plane calls us to surrender, to give, to see finances as actually God's blessing to me. It's God's way that he's blessed me in order to give to others. And I think this, this is, again, this is this collision course in our world where we can see finances as the means to our enjoyment, as the means to our pleasure, as the means to our survival. But, but choosing to give off the top and trusting God that for what we need for the rest breaks the power of money, breaks the power of control or of it in our lives. And it also speaks to us of actually the need to live within our means, that we give off the top and then we say, now, I, now I've got to figure out a way, how am I going to live within my means with the rest? And it's really, it's, you know, our needs drive most of us far more than anything else. And that's why it's a gospel issue. What controls our hearts? All right. So in this, I want to end with this, that you can't, you can't kind of talk about all this without talking about tithing. So what about tithing? Because alongside talking about generosity as it relates to our finances, we can't ignore that there's a biblical command to tithing. And perhaps maybe we're not even quite sure like what the scriptures say about tithing. And so I, I want to say off the top, like we as a leadership team, we have been so encouraged at the faithfulness of tithing on the part of so many of you during this time. Like we have been so in blessed by that. Randy Elkhorn, when he talks about tithing, he talks about, he says, it's the training wheels of forgiving. I thought, that's really good. Like it's the tithing is the training wheels for us. And they're meant to come off eventually, right? Training wheels are the thing that gets us going into giving. Tithing teaches us where giving begins, not where it ends. Now, interestingly, the, when we talk about tithe, the word tithe actually means, it means the t a tenth part. So to tithe, when we talk about like I'm tithing, it means to begin at 10%. It belongs to the Lord, the tithe. Leviticus 27.30 talks about that. Malachi 3.8-10 gets even clearer. It says if you, to, to not tithe is to rob God. The Israelites didn't themselves stop at 10%. When you look at all the offerings and all the giving that they gave, they actually give sub they gave substantially more than 10%. Um, now there's this common claim that, okay, tithing, but tithing is like legalism, like like. And yes, we absolutely want to guard against that. But everything in the New Testament points to going beyond the tithe. None 
of the giving in the New Testament falls short of it. It's not a, a law versus grace issue. Jesus didn't, he says, I didn't come to abolish the law, I came to fulfill it. And the New Testament commands on giving clearly, they, they fulfill the heart behind tithing. Jesus, in fact, in Matthew 23, 23, he affirms tithing. He's interestingly, he's never accused of violating it, which the Pharisees love to pick things that he violated out of the law, but he's never brought to account about tithing. And the early church taught require, that tithing was a requirement for Christian living. Tithing is never in the, in the word. It's never singled out as having ended. Like other aspects of the law are singled out as having ended. Tithing is not. Tithing is, is really key in helping us, again, with kind of picture of training wheels. Tithing helps us relinquish control and look to the Lord for our needs. Now, it's, it's interesting when, when we look, you look sort of at tithing um, along the broader church right now, that it's actually dropping. That we actually right now give less per capita in, in the church than the church did during the Great Depression. Each generation following the previous generation, the numbers say is giving less. Like tithing is not translating to our children. And the question is, why? And, and you know, this is the reality, right? When, you want it, when, we got it, when we talk about tithing, tithing is the means by which churches are supported, the way that churches are able to function. And so we, we believe that the tithe belongs in the local body that we're called to grow and minister in. And beyond tithing to the local church, then we have all sorts of opportunities to any number of ministries and causes that we feel called to support. There's, there's some ministries outside of the church that are very near and dear to my heart, to Jess's heart, and we, let, we said, yeah, we want to give to that above and beyond the call to tithe. But tithing is a spiritual discipline. It's meant to align our hearts with the work of the local church and with people. And so, you know, in this, the tithe that we, our tithe is to the Lord, it's to the church, it's not to an individual it's not our volunteer hours in the church. It's the giving of our financial resources to the work of the church. And I, and I just, I, I thought about this this week, and we've, we've been talking about this a lot, but, you know, practically, we, we would love to hire a part-time youth worker in our church. Like, love to hire someone in the years now to come to, to hire someone to work with our youth. And it's something that we feel is very important, but that is directly dependent on faithfulness in giving. That's, that's the connection. And so this is a pressing need for us where our faithfulness in tithing actually serves the growth of the body. 2 Corinthians 9, 11, and 12 here speaks of thanksgiving being offered up to God as a, a result of giving. Paul there speaks about an overflow of many thanksgivings to God. It isn't that an incredible thought that there is an overflow of thanksgiving to God that goes up out of the giving of his people. That, that through our giving, as we give, we are multiplying thanksgiving to God. That it's, that it's, it's just overflowing. 
And this is all the result of God's grace just being poured into our lives, producing gratitude in us, manifesting generosity in us. I love, I love that picture of just grace being poured out to us. It, it produces this gratitude in us for what God has done, and it, it moves to just manifesting generosity in our lives. So I want to end with some application for us. I want to I leave us with some questions to ask ourselves, put before the Lord this week. I, again, like, like all of this stuff, you know, we're talking about formation. Application of this into our lives is key if it's going to take root and if it's going to grow. So the question is going to be up there. Yeah, okay. So number one, in light of 2 Corinthians 8, 14 and 9, 11, just ask, Lord, do you want me to assume that each financial blessing you entrust to me is not intended to raise my standard of living, but to raise my standard of giving? Number two, where do I have opportunity to excel, abound, and grow in my financial generosity? Three, how can I use my money and possessions to demonstrate the abundant life that Jesus has given me? What can I do about this now? And number four, if I struggle with sacrificial giving of my finances, why is that? What does God desire to say to me about this? And number five, this may not apply to all of us, but what am I doing to train my children to be generous givers, not just donors, but disciples? So, let's, uh, Jeremy, if you want to come up, let's pray together and ask the Lord to, to speak to us. Father, I want to thank you that you held nothing back from us. That when we were in absolute desperate need of salvation, of redemption, of saving, when we were dead without any hope, you didn't hold anything back, but you gave us your son. And Jesus, you relinquished everything that you had. You relinquished all of your glory in heaven. You relinquished your relationship with your father. And you came down and you poured yourself out for us. Just this supreme act of generosity and grace. And Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the clarity that it calls us to. And Lord, we want to thank you for the way that it, it highlights and it, it shows us how we actually grow with joy and contentment in our lives. Jesus, would you help us? Father, would you help us? Holy Spirit, would you speak to us about generosity in our lives? And Lord, where, where you have been calling us to generosity and we've been obedient, Jesus, we want to ask that you just give us more and more joy in that. We thank you for the opportunity to partner with you. And we want to have joy as we give. Thank you, Jesus, for the way that you're using this to form us into more and more of your image.